You're listening to Frontlines, a podcast for the people that truly make mountain biking happen. Not the riders, racers, or product designers, but the builders, advocates, and the often forgotten board members of your local mountain bike trail association. Today's episode might only prove helpful for listeners who are in transition when it comes to their local trail association's board. My hope is that those just starting out or those that are looking to expand will be able to benefit. But a few listeners I have spoken with have mentioned that many of these podcast episodes are helpful for those thinking of volunteering for their local trail association. I won't go as far as calling every episode pre-reading material, but I do want to further expand the awareness of any listeners who aren't actively involved in their local club. Now, if you don't fall into any of those categories, I still think that you'll enjoy my conversation. And afterwards, I want to share some insight I received recently that would benefit every organization, no matter how large or small, old or new. I'm your host, Brent Hillier. And this is episode 21 of Frontlines. My guest is Ian Jones. He's the president of the Southwest Montana Mountain Bike Association in Bozeman. Hi, Ian. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, Brent. Without getting into the, the details of, uh, of the hard skills that are needed, what types of people would you say that a, a trail association needs? I'd say a trail association definitely needs some very motivated people um, with a wide range of skills. It, it takes quite a bit of effort to put forth um, when you're first starting one. And even more mature trail associations still need people who are able to dedicate a uh, number of hours every week to pretty mundane tasks just to keep it moving forward and expanding. And you, you kind of touched on a, a little bit there, but what, what commitments are required of a board member? So a board member's commitments can range based off of the organizational structure of a trail association. Um, Southwest Montana Mountain Bike Association is an all-volunteer organization, so we don't have any paid members. Um, paid employees. Uh, so we're, we're all volunteer and we have to dedicate all of the time to making it work uh, on our own. So we have board members who have commitments every week up to about 20 hours a week um, doing tasks like planning events, uh, running our Facebook page, updating our website, answering emails, and coordinating with other community entities. So how do board members join the Southwest Montana Mountain Bike Association? Board members can join the Southwest Montana Mountain Bike Association by getting in contact with our nominations committee. Um, we have an interesting setup for getting onto our board where we basically put them through a process where they talk to a couple of community members who we entrust with electing our board. They, the nomination committee nominates those individuals and the board then votes on those nominations to um, actually put them onto the board. So who's on that nomination committee then? Uh, We have three board members and and two community members. Um, The two community members are folks who have been involved with other iterations of a bicycle club here in Bozeman 
and uh, at least one individual who's much more involved with other activities in the Bozeman area as well. Yeah, and, and I'm familiar with, you know, more of a, an AGM kind of public election style for, for board members. Um, this style, was it something that was originally written into the, the original bylaws of your group, or is this something that evolved over time? Yeah, so we originally wrote it into the bylaws. Um, we wanted to make sure that we were able to start up the organization and move quickly. Um, we started from a model where we were originally a part of a larger bike club that included road cyclists and mountain bikers uh, and everything in between. And that group decided to split the mountain bikers and the road bikers. So the road bikers are off on their own now, and the mountain bikers have kind of formed into Swimba. Um, the process by which we did that was... Um, Probably not the smoothest transition, but we got uh, all of the individuals from the uh, original organization who were interested in mountain biking to actually join the new club, but only by email addresses and such. So we're still in the process of organizing that. We needed more flexibility to move forward and be more nimble and not have to hold elections with the entire club in presence. What are some reasons that you think that uh, someone should join the board? One of the biggest reasons why I would say that someone should join the board is to give back to the community that's helping to support all of the trails in your area. Specifically with Swimba, we're working on a number of different advocacy efforts where we're protecting trails from potential encroachment of uh, wilderness, which I know that you've touched on on a number of occasions as well as protecting it from industry as well. So working with industry to um, work around certain trails, making sure that they're still accessible and making sure that the community can still use them. We also build trails in Southwest Montana area. We've got a number of large projects in the works and we're always looking for people to help out with that. You could even be the person who goes and flags out a new trail. Now, there's a difference between uh, an advisory board and a working board. And, and what is that? Yeah, so an advisory board is a little bit more high level. Their job is mostly to get community engagement and involvement into our organization. And we're working on setting one up as we speak. It's a fairly lengthy process. You need to have all of your ducks in a row before you set that up, because usually the members of an advisory board are pretty... Um, pretty involved community members, and they're really difficult to get a hold of and into one spot at the same time. Um, so those those board members would be meeting less frequently, um, and they would be providing high-level oversight of what the SWIMBA um, acting board would be actually um, working on on a day-to-day -day basis. The SWIMBA um, working board is definitely a lot more involved. We meet monthly. Um, so we have a two to three hour meeting every month where we catch everyone up on what we're doing and we go over exact projects, get board approval on anything that we need and start moving forward the day-to-day -day operations and the, I guess you could call them the fine strokes of running a trail organization. Whereas the advisory board is more of a Every other quarter we would meet and it would be more broad strokes um, strategy. 
So what would be some things that an advisory board would cover? So some things that an advisory board would cover would be advocacy positions on certain topics. Like one that comes to mind is travel planning on recommended wilderness areas. And then another place where an advisory board would come in handy would be actually assisting with financial planning and also long range trail planning and prioritization of projects and eventually hiring of staff and seeing where we need to go from there. Setting strategic goals for the organization really is where they would shine. So when it comes to a working board, what would you say the most important skill for a board member is? Oh, um, it's a very wide range of skills that you need to be a, a working board member. I'd say the, the most important one would be the ability to communicate effectively and delegate tasks. And then kind of digging into that, you know, needing a wide range of skills, what types of board members are, are you going to want in your organization or on your board? Like what's your dream team for, for members? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so the dream team obviously would be a group of volunteers who are able to provide all of the uh, support and tasks that we would need to run day-to-day -day operations. Um, and that ranges quite quite widely from everyone who can organize a trail workday, um, swing a Pulaski, clear trail, cut down trees, to individuals who can plan a black tie fundraiser and are able to reach out to the community, ask for large donations, and help support the fiscal needs of a trail organization. And then you also have individuals who are skilled at financial planning and analysis, as well as accounting, um, to make sure that the, the finances of the group are always in the positive range, and the group has a good amount of money on the side just in case any issues come up or any problems happen, making sure that you actually have that plan in place and you've got the additional funds to hold you through a rough year. That's really important. And then also having really strong managers and leaders on the board is important. Being able to have those individuals delegate tasks to volunteers who may or may not have um, a, long, a large amount of time available. So ensuring that they can get all of the tasks that are needed to be done by the board done through other means as well. And then having a really strong group of folks who are engaged in the community is always helpful as well. Making sure that they can reach out to the bike shops, reach out to other retailers, talk with the city commission, talk with the county commission, state legislators, national legislation, and everywhere in between there, right? Another big thing that you need on the board is the ability to actually negotiate. So you need someone who's really good at negotiating, especially if you're working in an area like we are in Southwest Montana, where we're working on a number of different collaborative efforts to do long range planning for our local public lands. It's really important to be able to have someone at the table who understands the history and the, the ability for the trail organization to advocate for a certain stance when you're at the table with other groups like the Wilderness Society or uh, the Sierra Club. 
So everyone on the board is going to be volunteering, but are you looking for people that have experience from their day jobs to kind of bring that onto the board? Absolutely. Um, we've got three members of our board who have technology background, um, different technologies, but uh, that's really important for us. One of our board members currently is uh, web developer light, and that's really important for us to maintain our website. We've got another board member who has a background in customer relationship management software, and that's giving us a leg up in developing our uh, fundraising and development arm because we're able to look at different software venues to help track and monitor that information um, and move it forward. So we're able to make educated decisions on where we're going to spend money on software that will provide us tenfold increase in cash flow to enable these projects that we're building. Other really important skills for the board, especially from day jobs, are finance and accounting. I know that it doesn't seem like a trail organization would have that, but that's a very important part of our board, making sure that we have the funds to do everything that we can dream up. It's very important part of uh, running this organization especially being a 501c3 nonprofit, we've got quite a bit on our plate when we have to do financial reporting and file taxes every year. So, And then another big aspect to that would be construction and manual labor or volunteer management. And that's another important part of our board because we do a number of trail projects. We've got a large trail project that we're working on right now. And then we also do trail maintenance on public lands. So having someone who's able to coordinate those efforts and knows basically what's involved with it can talk about trail construction and uh, really utilize volunteers effectively. That's another kind of day job skill that not many people have. If an organization is just starting out, their needs are going to be a little bit different than uh, an organization that's that's more well-established like yourself. Is there certain roles or things that a new organization should be prioritizing for their board of directors versus uh, a more mature group? Sure. And I'm, uh, I'm impressed that you said that we're a more mature group. We're only a year old um, in September. So <laughs> we've uh, really put the irons in the fire for our group and really kickstarted it and moved it forward as quickly as we can. So that's a, and this is a great question for you because you've, you've kind of transitioned from, from a group that just started out into what sounds like, a, I mean, you've got a lot of roles, you've got um, a lot of key people on your board, which is why I would say that you're a mature group. Yeah. Um, and for no small effort of the board either. I mean, we've been working really hard to get it to where we're at. Initially, I'd say that if anyone wanted to start a trail organization, the best resource for that would be going on to the International Mountain Bike Association's website and looking at what the requirements are to become a chapter. Um, we used that as our blueprint last summer to actually kickstart our program. And we used that to um, identify key people in the community to ask to be board members and design that board structure that we eventually use to create our bylaws um, and move forward with that and then get our financial planning in play. If you only have three people who can commit, I would look at getting someone who can lead that group, so a really strong manager, someone with a good vision for where that organization can go. 
someone who's able to kind of look at the future and see where an organization might be growing or might need to focus more in the future and be able to identify that and talk about that and recruit people for that uh, new expansion. And then that third person being an accountant would be highly important for uh, making sure that all of your financial ducks are in a row and you can file for incorporation and you can navigate all of the bureaucracy that comes along with being a trail organization. As uh, a group expands and, and your your organization, it seems like they're right at that point now, uh, what, what would be things that you'd want to think about or people that you'd want to add into the mix as you're starting to expand? We're expanding at quite a rapid rate. I wouldn't expect many organizations to expand quite as quickly as we have, but we already had a lot of our ducks in a row before we even started this. One of the big things that we're looking at right now is getting the funding to actually hire someone to manage a lot of the more mundane day-to-day tasks because they're starting to become more of a tax on the board than is necessary. And if we can hire someone to do that, someone who can go to meetings with the Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, and state and local officials during the workday. That's really helpful. And those individuals can help start building the history of the organization and making sure that things don't fall off the board's plate. So we're at the stage where we're actually looking at hiring individuals now to start doing that kind of work. But our key focus now is making the, the money to get to that stage. Need the money to go first. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> money is key. Um, I mean, that's that's impressive to go within a year to kind of be at that stage. I know there's a lot of trail associations out there who are, are thinking about staff and and want to hire staff, but but you know that's like five, ten, fifteen, sometimes even twenty years of of being in existence and and kind of getting to that point. And um and a big thing that I I try to always, uh, in my opinion, it's the sooner you can start thinking about that, the the better it's going to be for your organization. But you kind of touched on on being able to take on roles and, and alleviate some of that pressure from from staff or from from board members, as well as those kind of weekday meetings, which a lot of board members aren't going to be able to to make. You know, there's advantages to having that paid staff, but what would you say some of the challenges are to looking for that paid staff? Is it easy to find people for those roles? Um, how would you attract those type of types of people to your organization? Yeah, so hiring paid staff is probably the most difficult thing you can do as a nonprofit, um, especially when you're transitioning from an all-volunteer model to a, to a model where you're part volunteer, part paid. You need that paid staff member to be truly exemplary. Uh, they have to be good at everything. They have to be good at fundraising. They have to be good at organizing. They have to be good at delegating. They also have to be good at more technical skills like trail development, web development, and financial planning and risk analysis. They, they have to wear a lot of hats. And that individual is not easy to find. Uh, a lot of trail organizations or mountain bike clubs specifically look for individuals who have a strong history of mountain biking. And I actually feel like that is almost counterproductive to success on that team. You definitely want someone who's going to hold the banner and push forward as a mountain biker. 
but you don't need to look for someone who's been racing for 15 years and mountain biking is their life. More ideally, you want to look for someone who's willing to take a smaller paycheck back home and then have those skills where they can effectively run your organization. Because that's really the tough part is finding individuals who have those skills and can move the organization forward as opposed to holding it stagnant. So when it comes to both volunteer board members and paid staff, I think retention is uh, is a, a big word that, that gets passed around a lot. And, and what are some challenges with retaining um, both of these groups within an organization? Yeah, so retaining individuals on your organization is tough. Our working board, like I mentioned earlier, we, we, we sometimes have board members who are working up to 20 hours a week on top of their day jobs. So you can imagine having a 60, 70 hour week between your day job, which you're getting paid for, and then your volunteer job, which you're not getting really paid for, monetarily at least. And being able to balance that and make sure that people have tasks that they need to accomplish, but also not too much, is a really fine balancing act. And it kind of falls on the role of president to understand and delegate those tasks out to individuals in a way that doesn't burn them out, um, but also doesn't keep them from providing any support to the organization. Um, it's, it's important to balance that on the executive side of that and make sure that they're not getting burned out ahead of time, make sure that those tasks are fine, and then providing them with resources to make it easier and quicker to do all of the work that's, that comes with being a trail organization. We have a number of different productivity software kind of applications that we use to make sure projects are on schedule and automate a lot of the processes that the board members have to do. But it still comes down to hours spent. And if people aren't seeing a benefit to it, then they won't dedicate their time to it. Is there a right age for a board member? No. Um, I'm only 27 years old. Um, but we have board members all the way up into their 50s, and it's a very dynamic board. We've got probably an individual from every age group other than um, maybe high school, although I, I could definitely see having a high schooler on the board and them being highly effective, actually, to tell you the truth. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I honestly don't think that there is a right age for anyone who wants to be part of a volunteer organization. Everyone and anyone who can help should help. And if they're able to dedicate the time and their resources to it, um, there's definitely a skill somewhere in there that they're going to be able to dedicate to it in a big way. It's just finding that skill and the right position for them on the board. Now, do you find that there's one age that's going to gravitate towards that role or a couple of ages that are going to gravitate towards volunteering on a, on a trail association? Yeah, there are certain ages where you can definitely tell that they've got both the free time and the financial stability to not feel confined or um, endangered by volunteering their time. Um, finding people in my age group in their mid-20s uh, is really difficult, obviously, because they've got a lot of financial things that they have to worry about. So dedicating their free time to a volunteer organization is not usually their best use of their time. Um, they have to pay off student loans. They have to um, 
pay their rent or in some cases mortgage their house. Um, and it's, it's tough um, when you've got finances looming over you. It's difficult to find the freedom to dedicate your time to that job. Um, I'd say that maybe mid-40s is probably a good age to look at, 40s to 50s. For an advisory board, that age goes up, though, right? Those those individuals are usually the ones who are highly involved in the community. Think retirees or independently wealthy folks who are able to dedicate that time to the community to be really involved and engaged. Whereas the, the our working board is more of individuals who are willing to dedicate a lot of time and effort to building the community and ensuring that the organization is effective and runs well. Do you find that uh, younger volunteers are coming to the organization maybe with uh, a, a lack of experience looking to to use this as an opportunity to gain experience? Yeah, of course. Using the board as a sort of resume builder is really effective, especially if those individuals want to work in nonprofit. Um, I know that we have at least one individual on our board who is doing it because they want to transition out of their day job into more of a, a nonprofit executive director role. Um, so they're, they're working really closely to learn all about our organization and how it functions and really build up that skill set so that they're able to market themselves and move themselves forward into that next job role. Um, which is interesting to see. Um, it's really, really inspiring to see that someone wants to leave corporate America and move into more of a volunteer slash nonprofit role. Now, I think a lot of people would see a red flag in, in situations like that because they're they're going to see this person's going to have a limited timeline, right? Like it, they're going to be with the organization and then once they kind of get what they need, once they get the experience, they're, they're going to move on. Um, but it, but it sounds like you're kind of seeing some advantages to having this person there, even if it is going to be for a temporary period of time. Yeah. And I guess a lot of boards look at dedication to the, the board being on the order of maybe five to 10 years or longer. Our, our working board, we're really only interested in making sure that people can dedicate a year to two years. Um, if they're able to dedicate a year to two years, move forward a certain position to a place where they can hand it off to someone else, um, they've done their role. And that's it's really admirable that they made it two years. I mean, we're, we definitely utilize our volunteers pretty extensively. So making sure that individual who does want to move into that nonprofit role is able to still accomplish some things on the board. Um, is really important to us. It's already proving to be highly beneficial to us because they're really driven to prove themselves and have something to show for it. So even if we only have that individual for a year, it's really a really good thing for our organization. Now, you know, just kind of discussing timelines and, and how long somebody will, will sit on a board. I think a lot of clubs deal with uh, term limits or sometimes they even deal with the lack of, of term limits. Um, does your organization have a, a term limit for board members? We do have a term limit, but it's per position and it's three years. It's not really a... It, I'd say it's more of a way to ensure that we've got new individuals moving onto the board than it is getting 
other individuals off the board. Mm. If someone's proven themselves effective, um, they can roll into a different role on the board and still have um, just as much of an impact as they did on their original board position. Gotcha. Well, Ian, I want to thank you for taking the time to, to sit down and chat with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you very much, Brent. Right after my interview with Ian, I was fortunate enough to spend some time chatting with Bruce Alt. You might remember that name from episode 14 during my interview with IMBA Executive Director David Wins. Bruce was formerly with IMBA and was in charge of government relations and was part of the final layoffs that happened in April. Bruce is an incredibly smart guy, and it's my opinion that his lack of presence in DC will be felt. Bruce was kind enough to share the three things that he thought every trail organization needs help with, no matter the size or age of that organization. The first is leadership development and succession planning. The latter was something that Bruce felt is entirely left to chance by most trail associations. Kevin Loomis of the San Diego Mountain Bike Association has mentioned to me that as president, he feels that his role is to constantly find the right people to take on projects. All too often when I reach out to organizations, it's the presidents that answer the email and essentially take on the day-to-day activity of the organization. Having a strong board is vital, but also planning for when you or anyone else on the board leaves should be done from day one. The second point that Bruce mentioned was guidance on fundraising. Over the last few months, I've been collecting the revenue information of various organizations. As nonprofits, this information should be public, and what I've been compiling is total revenue and the percentage of where that revenue is coming from. For example, membership, private donors, events, grants, etc. If you're interested in sharing your club's information with me, it would be extremely helpful. And the third and final point that Bruce believes every club needs help with is really the reason why there's over 1,200 trail organizations in the world. Advocacy. And what many, if not all, groups need help with is how to be an effective advocate. Bruce's elevator advice to me on this topic was, and I'm quoting here, go where you're wanted. Meaning that if a land manager doesn't want mountain biking, is it really worth your energy or are there other regions that could benefit from your organization's time and effort? Now, there's certainly areas that lack almost any mountain bike opportunities, And I think we can all think of a few without me having to name them. We've discussed some in past episodes. And I sympathize with these communities. It's a struggle. There's almost no opportunities for riding. And that's a fight that I'm grateful that people are taking on. And I'm thankful that my community has opportunities to ride. And that doesn't mean that it's not work as well. But some of us have a bigger battle to fight than others. And I think for those communities, maybe the rest of us need to think about how we can help them. In a past episode, Lance Peicher of the Bitterroot Backcountry Cyclist mentioned that everybody just cares about their trails. If your trails are protected, if your trails are safe then you're not concerned about advocacy out there. And I think even us as advocates kind of have that mindset as well. What can we do to help our neighbors? If there's a trail association next door to us, what can we do to help them out? I want to thank Bruce for taking the time to chat with me. 
I'm looking forward to including his voice in future episodes, and I know his experience will be welcomed by you as well. And while we're on the topic of thank yous, I'd like to thank Ian for reaching out with this episode concept and interview. I'd also like to thank Brandon Gallagher Watson of the Minnesota Off-Road Cyclists for doing the same. And I'd also like to thank Brandon for being flexible and I apologize for bumping our interview back an episode. I promise our discussion about branding, marketing, and public relations will be part of episode 22. And I think it'll be a great follow-up to this week's episode. If you have an idea for an episode or you want to comment or contribute to an episode, then please send me an email or audio file at frontlinesmtb at gmail.com. This show wouldn't be what it is without the community of advocates who listen and most importantly, contribute. Like always, you can find the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at FrontlinesMTB. And you can also send me an email or audio file, FrontlinesMTB at gmail.com. You can support the show via PayPal. You can find a link in the show notes, along with links to the Southwest Montana Mountain Bike Association. As mentioned earlier, next episode will be my interview with Brandon Gallagher-Watson about branding, marketing, and public relations. And following that will be my episode about industry and advocacy. Why the disconnect? What have we done wrong? And how can we fix it? It's easy to point fingers. Let's try to figure out some solutions. If you can contribute, you've got until the second week of August to do so. And once again, music is by Lee Rosevear, production notes by Jennifer Pride. And finally, I'm Brent Hillier. This is Frontlines. Thanks for listening and happy trails.